Welcome to the New Ventures podcast. Our guest for today is Troy Carter, the co-founder and CEO of Earthshot Labs. Welcome, Troy. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being there. Troy, let's start by saying that you say that Earthshot Labs is committed to ecological regeneration on a planetary scale. One of the things I find inspiring is the way you describe how your business can help in restoration of degraded landscapes. Let's say a community organization in the Aral Sea region reached out to you. How could you help them? Yeah, thanks for that question. I'm just going to take a quick step back and just say, you know, what is it that we're doing anyway at Earthshot? So Earthshot was founded to help address the global climate crisis. But more than that, the world is facing multiple systemic collapses in ecological systems all over the planet, in soil, in water, in forests, in biodiversity. And so we're working in each of these areas. The first thing we're doing is measurement with the thesis that if we can measure nature more accurately on a global scale, then we can better incentivize policymakers, investors, and landowners to make regenerative decisions on their land. So step one, build an open source global ecological simulator. And that's what we've spent the last year doing at Earthshot is uh, assembling an international consortium of academics and institutions to contribute to this big open source model. The second thing that we're doing is something we're calling LandOS. So it's an operating system for land management. And that's for conservation, reforestation, basically answering the question, how do I use my land to optimize the ecological and financial outcome of land? And so that's for policymakers, investors, landowners, indigenous groups, NGOs, everyone who has agency over land. And the third thing is realizing this isn't just a software problem. We actually need to deal with like real trees and real water systems. So we're doing on the ground operations, starting with a 17,000 hectare reforestation project in Panama and expanding internationally over the next year to Brazil, Australia, Mexico, Costa Rica, um, and a whole bunch of other places. So maybe we just take your question again, like, okay, so there's this group of people in the Aral Sea and, and maybe not everyone listening knows the situation in the Aral Sea, but it's, you know, this big lake uh, that essentially went dry from sort of ecological disaster and policy decisions based on water use. And on actually, turns out this is not a solo case. You know, the Owens Dry Lake in California where you think we would have sort of sane water policy is also one of the biggest point sources of pollution from dust that comes off this dry lake bed now. So what do we do? One of the tools we're working on is to simulate water systems all over the planet. So what are the short intervent, like small interventions, like check dams, swales, reforestation, little reservoirs, beaver dam analogs to actually go implement low-tech operations across massive landscape scales to actually restore water cycles. Um, that's one example of how Land OS and the Earth Simulator could inform policy decisions. Another thing is for individual landowners or governments to actually get paid for reforestation by directing money from carbon credits and other credits for ecological systems. So Rather than you know restoring the RLC being an expense, which is you know costs billions of dollars, it actually could be something that makes local people money. 
So happy to dive into any of those subjects into more detail. Thanks, Troy. Uh, we will dive into these, each of these topics in a little more detail, but you know what I found most inspiring in what you said, which is that this agglomeration, if you may, of open source academics and organizations coming and building low-tech solutions for water and natural regeneration. And I think that's really sort of mingling of the two worlds is what I find most inspiring. But let's start by talking about helping local people get paid for the ecological stewardship. How can you make that possible? Yeah. So there already exists market mechanisms to pay people to do ecological restoration. So carbon markets have been around, what, since the 60s, um, but it's only in the last couple of years that they've gotten mature enough to actually go help do nature restoration projects. And so that's one of the things we're working on at Earthshot is building the technology system in order to easily onboard landowners onto carbon markets um, and get paid for restoration by doing reforestation, by doing water restoration, or by simply doing what they're already doing, maybe, which is forest protection or, you know, forest farming or agroforestry. So one category is sort of active land restoration, where you're taking very degraded land, making it a new forest, putting it into conservation. And another is avoided deforestation, where, okay, so it's an indigenous group in the Amazon, and they have 50,000 hectares, and they already actually have really great land stewardship, we can start paying them to keep doing what they're already doing. You know, just help us understand how the carbon markets help paying them what they're doing. Yeah. If you can do that with an example, please. Yeah. So large corporations um, have mandates or pledge compliance from their shareholders or their ESG programs. Say, you know, I'm, I want to put a billion dollars into offsetting my carbon emissions or ecological footprint. So these corporations and also governments buy carbon credits from the open market to support projects. And historically, these have only been very, very large projects on hundreds of thousands of hectares, and also mostly for things like renewable energy, um, mostly not nature-based projects. But now the market is changing so that we're actually um, able to support small landowners to actually get paid rather than just very, very large landowners or renewable energy developers. And uh, that's only something that has existed in the last couple of years. So we're building the technology stack to onboard very small landowners or landowner cooperatives that represent, you know, say a few thousand landowners in a region to actually for changing agricultural practices, for changing, you know, livestock grazing practices, for doing conservation or agroforestry. Great. You'd already talked a little bit about the technology platform. So please tell us a little bit about that will help you do what you describe. Yeah. So the first step, as I mentioned, is ecological measurement. So we're building this big simulator. And this simulator, the simulator comes from a tradition of about four decades of academic research, mostly around weather modeling. So like what's gonna what's gonna be the weather in a week? And so it takes in these all these different variables, satellite imagery and physics-informed models around photosynthesis, around heat fluxes, and around soil effects and carbon fluxes between the forest and the soil and water cycles. So many, many different ecological processes that all go into a big supercomputer model. So there exist supercomputer models of ecology today, but they're pretty unwieldy, very computationally expensive, sort of like normal people can't access them 
And they're also not so good at ingesting new satellite imagery of which there's thousands and thousands of times more satellite imagery than there was even just a few years ago. So we're building a new type of simulator that can run in real time and constantly be updated with new satellite imagery and data sources so that you know individual landowners using LandOS or policymakers can actually see simulations of their land happen very quickly. So you know they want to do some reforestation here and some water restoration here and plant these species and do these different interventions. And then it can simulate what will happen over the next, say, 50 years, and then how they can actually get paid to do that intervention. So this is sort of a technology that wasn't possible even a few years ago and um, will unlock a lot of different mechanisms for encouraging ecological restoration now. Okay, so this means that you have built the simulator based on the knowledge of what you called earlier, you know, the open source community of academics and institutions, right? Perhaps what would be interesting is to give us a few examples or anecdotes of how these organizations are engaged. Sure. So we're building this simulator. I would say it's not complete yet and will be a work in progress for many, many years. Because of, and it will constantly get better and better. The open source coalition we're building, we're calling the Earthshot Institute. And, you know, for example, we just co-applied with a lab from the University of Berkeley in California to do process-based, you know, land surface simulation. So we're forming academic partnerships like that. We're also forming, you know, a long list of individual contributors. These are, you know, technical people that maybe don't have any experience in climate or land surface modeling, but are engineers or full stack developers or designers that just want to be part of multidisciplinary teams working in these categories. And then we have a bunch of people that actually, they're not technically skilled, they're not scientists, and they're not uh, software engineers, like what can they do? So we actually are building an app called Biome, where ordinary people can actually go around and collect ecological data on the ground using their smartphones. So taking measurements around trees and tree species and dimensions, measurements around biodiversity, around water features, a whole bunch of other ecological measurements that are now possible on smartphones. So that's three ways for different kinds of people to get involved around institutional partnerships and NGOs and like really top professional academics, sort of technical contributors who will just want to be a part of multidisciplinary volunteer teams. And then just ordinary people who want to have a meaningful way to contribute to work on the climate crisis. I think the last part is also very interesting. You know, it's not just about experts. It's about ordinary people wanting to contribute to the climate crisis. There is uh, this app called iNaturalist, which, right. uh, which people use to capture species and fauna of the region and, and sort of understand them a little bit more and contribute to the world's knowledge about biodiversity. It seems that you're trying to build on some of those inspirations. Correct. Yeah. iNaturalist is, is sort of the, the top example of, you know, an app that helps people identify what species is in an area. One additional thing that we're doing is saying, okay, actually, the information that people are collecting is really important for our scientific understanding of the world and that we can actually go build models that actually help land restoration projects get off the ground by getting money, by lowering verification costs of the actual impact of projects. So both 
being sort of like, you know, a fun app for citizen science, but also something that's really deeply meaningful to understanding the planet. So that's something that is very beautiful that we're pioneering now. Um, and in the future, we'd love to be have this be more like a game. You know, you could imagine 500 million 10 year olds running around and taking pictures of trees and listening to birdsong and having that be incentivized in, in a game or, you know, through financial incentives for project verification. And I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, obviously, it'll be very cool. It'll, in order to take the next generation, the younger generation, back to nature, we have to use modern technology. But one aspect of your uh, model, which I want you to still get into a little bit more detail, is how do you reduce verification costs? The whole idea of that, which we talked about at the beginning, the community organizations getting paid for doing ecological stewardship, which they are doing anyway, the whole thing is boils down to what you said just now, which is reducing verification costs. Yeah. Maybe I, I still couldn't get that completely. Totally. So here's a quick case study. Right now, if you want to have a verification of a carbon project, you know, it costs like a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand dollars. You pay a professional consultant, you know, maybe they're from Norway or you know, the EU or the US, they fly to the project site, they spend a couple of days doing field plots, which is taking tape measures and measuring trees and very manually assessing how much carbon is on the land. And that's a pretty antiquated, expensive system. And we want to give the power back actually to the local people to use their own smartphones, or we send them a smartphone, collect fraud proof data. So, you know, collecting images and and training data needed to actually run a verification event at scale on their land um, that costs them nothing. And that, it will be a big game changer. Okay, I get it, get it now. It, it's a matter of doing things which you are already doing in other contexts, which is you know helping people provide data without the need for travel to be able to automate and lower the verification costs. I think that, that makes perfect sense. So I think this is an opportunity for us to kind of sum up the progress that you made. When did you start on this project or the business? And then, you know, what is today, almost end of this year, what is the progress that you have made? Yeah. So Earthshot Labs started out as just an open source research community. A bunch of our friends and scientists and software developers got together and say, okay, you know, what can we go do to make a difference on this planet? And um, so we've spent about a year as an open source research community. And about two months ago, we we're like, okay, we've got some strong momentum. We should go start a company around this. So we just raised a $7 million seed round led by Future Ventures, a really, really amazing uh, investment firm uh, in the Bay Area. And you know, hiring a whole bunch of people, starting project operations in Panama, diving deeper into the ecological simulator and building out land OS. So we'll see a lot of progress by mid next year. So around six months from now, um, in terms of releasing LandOS to the public, releasing carbon verification services, really democratizing access to uh, land restoration technologies. And over the next six months, we'll really be just using those technologies internally on our own projects to make sure that they go smoothly, to make sure it's really easy for everyone on earth to use where there's super low barriers so that even small landowners can participate. So that's where we are now. And we're looking for a lot of support. You know, we're looking to hire quite a few people. 
So if you know amazing designers, developers, operations for on the ground land restoration, country managers in new project areas, business development people for our partnerships team with corporate clients and landowners, you know, we're looking for a lot of support on that. Well, wishing you the very best for the future. But my next question is really going to be a little bit about the past. I know, uh, Troy, that you were also involved in a business that manufactures timber items to be used in construction. Is it safe to say that your interest in nature came from there? And can you please tell us a little bit about that business? For sure. So Rhizome is the company they're referring to and uh, manufactures bamboo engineered lumber, mostly out of Southeast Asia, although Uh, We're now planting in Florida and other places. And that's a good example of a scalable technology to the climate crisis. We need um, climate positive alternatives to wood, steel, and concrete. And bamboo is a really great new crop to grow that grows very, very quickly. It's super strong and makes an amazing piece of plywood and other building materials that can click into the existing construction industry in the same format as wood. So that's a very powerful like example of one of a thousand solutions that we need in order to address uh, ecological restoration and the climate crisis at a big scale. So definitely part of the uh, my experience and interest in carbon in scaling up international operations came from there. But I think my sort of like love of nature and commitment to ecological restoration has been a lifelong path. Probably came from some deep childhood experiences, which we can probably discuss one-on-one when we meet. Uh, so to end our podcast, Troy, one thing that you said in the beginning has comes back to me, which is it is not just about the climate crisis. It's about the ecological crisis. You know, the problem of climate, water, ecosystems is all one connected whole. We cannot solve the problem of climate while being disrespectful to nature. I think that's what the science is telling us. But unfortunately, not a lot of people are getting it. And I want you to help our audience get it. Yeah. I mean, the climate crisis is a symptom. And ecological destruction is almost also a symptom. Like there are very, very deep themes that we're working with here. So the multiple systemic collapses in biodiversity, the dying of the coral reefs, the you know decrease in fish populations, the insect species collapse. These are major issues, you know, cutting down of all the old growth forests, you know, massive wildfires and disruptions in water cycles on a very like local water cycles, as well as planet scale water cycles. These are real issues that have long timelines. But the thing is, most of the destruction has actually already happened. And only now we're starting to see the effects of it um, because of some time lag. There are going to be some very serious consequences to that. And so, yes, you know, removing CO2 from the atmosphere is an important aspect of addressing some of the harm that we've done. But most of this has to be in restoring human relationship with non-human nature, producing food in a sustainable way, using land and having urban development be also not just sustainable where we're doing less harm, but actually contributing to the ecosystems where we're in. And that it's a really possible vision. Like we can totally imagine a world what it has to go along with income equality, Uh, land agency for local and indigenous people, systems of protection for very, very large 
land areas and ocean areas, and also, you know, financial incentives where we internalize costs associated with pollution, land destruction, and other emissions. So where where corporations and the price of goods, like it can't be so cheap, food production needs to actually take into more consideration what it destroys. So these are just some of the issues, but fundamentally it's about restoring relationship with non-human nature. And we are part of the ecosystem and humans can reclaim our position as a keystone ecosystem species, as one of the animals on this planet who performs a very beautiful function rather than sort of being a destructive force. We can get our position as a keystone species which performs a beautiful function instead of destroying it. What an inspiring message that is, Troy. Thank you very much. Thank you.